0: Hello, Sparklers! Welcome to A Sparkling Vintage Life, where we talk about all things vintage and celebrate the grace and charm of an earlier era. I'm your host, Jennifer Leo, and this is episode number 17. I'm so happy you've stopped by to spend a few minutes with me. It's June 23, 2019, as I record this, which means summer has officially started, although apparently Northern Idaho missed the memo so I'm sitting here wrapped in a sweater. Nevertheless, summer is here, so this episode is the first of a short series on ways to enjoy a sparkling vintage summer. Today we're talking about that classic summertime treat, ice cream. But first I wanted to give a heartfelt thank you to sparkler Mama Mansky, who left a five-star review. She wrote... A Sparkling Vintage Life Takes Me Away. When I want to escape the stresses of today, I enjoy listening to Miss Leo. It's refreshing and clean. If only I were born in that era. <laughs> well, that's how I hope every one of you feels while listening to this podcast. I want it to be a respite from the hustle and bustle of daily life, a little oasis of calm and a place to think about things that are true, good, and beautiful as you go about your day doing your housework or working in your garden or taking a walk. Also, on last week's episode about tea, I mentioned that multi-tiered tray called a curate's assistant. I said I didn't know where the term curate's assistant came from, but I speculated that it had to do with church services, specifically Anglican, where a curate is the lowest form of the priesthood, the beginner level, as it were, assisting a priest or a vicar in conducting the church service and running the church. So if the curate is the assistant to the priest, then the curate's assistant would be the assistant to the curate. Sparkler Linda wrote in to say she'd recently heard that in the context of food, To curate means to put together certain foods for a certain meal or um, purpose. I guess it's sort of like curating an exhibit in a museum or curating a wardrobe where you carefully choose some items and leave others out to achieve a deliberate desired effect. So maybe that's where the term curate's assistant comes from. Thanks, Linda, for writing in. Now on to our topic, which is ice cream. Writing in 1926, home economist Laura McFarlane wrote, No other variety of food appears to retain its popularity throughout the year with old and young alike as ice cream and its closely related desserts. But there's no time or season when these delicacies are so much appreciated nor so nearly touch the spot as when the mercury is creeping perilously near a hundred degrees. Reinforced with a heaping dish of fresh fruit ice cream, you will be prepared to baffle even the cruelest plans that Old Saul would take such delight in perpetrating during high summer. In America, the first time we know of a recorded instance of ice cream being served at a gathering was 1744, when Maryland Governor Thomas Bladen served strawberry ice cream at a dinner party. Soon it became a favored dessert in the nation's capital with George Washington, Dolly Madison, and Alexander Hamilton's wife, Betsy, all being particularly avid fans. In 1802, Thomas Jefferson served ice cream at an official White House dinner. He liked it so much that he learned to make it and even imported equipment from France to do so. At that time, ice cream was molded into shapes, much as we do with jello or certain other dishes today. I can't imagine the effort it took to make and serve ice cream in steamy Washington, D.C., or anywhere else in the American South in the days before refrigeration. But of course, it is a treat for the wealthy, as they were the ones with the resources to build ice houses on their estates and plantations. However, in the early 19th century, two African-Americans, Mrs. Jeremiah Shedd and Mr. Augustus Jackson, brought ice cream to the general population. First, Mrs. Shedd opened a catering business serving frozen cream, sugar, and fruit, which became a sensation. And about 20 years after that, in 1832, Augustus Jackson, who was then a chef at the White House, invented an efficient new way to manufacture ice cream using salt mixed in with the cream. Sadly, he never applied for a patent. Often called the father of ice cream, Jackson moved to Philadelphia and experimented with more flavors and methods— of manufacture, and he distributed the ice cream in tin cans to places called ice cream parlors. Ice cream parlors gained popularity throughout the late 19th and early 20th centuries as family-friendly places where young people and ladies dining alone could safely gather. Then they got a huge boost during Prohibition when the liquor business went underground, and many saloons switched to serving ice cream rather than close their doors. Drugstores, too, opened ice cream and lunch counters to serve the weary shopper in need of refreshment. Meanwhile, back in 1843, Nancy Johnson had invented a hand-cranked ice cream freezer, and she did patent it. This contraption meant that anybody with sufficient arm strength and patience could make ice cream at home, Ice cream churning was especially popular on farms with their ready access to fruit from the orchards and cream from the cows. The image of children taking turns cranking the ice cream on the back porch has become an iconic symbol of summer in heartland America. After the Civil War, large cities saw the advent of street vendors, or hokey-pokey men as they were called, these vendors, who were often Italian immigrants, were the forerunners of the good humor truck some of us may remember from childhood. The origin of the name Hokey Pokey is a bit of a mystery. Some think it's a variation of the magic term Hocus Pocus. More likely, it's a corruption of the Italian oke Poco, or Oh How Little, referring to the price of the ice cream, which was cheap, not the serving size. Lumps of ice cream were served in glass or wrapped in paper under sometimes questionable sanitation. In 1897, another African American, Alfred L. Kral, was issued a patent for the ice cream scoop, which allowed the scooper to dispense a uniform serving of ice cream using just one hand. Crowell's basic design is still widely in use today. Ice cream, as America's favorite dessert, got a big boost at the World's Fairs in Philadelphia in 1876 and Chicago in 1893. But it was at the Louisiana Purchase Exposition in St. Louis in 1904 where the ice cream cone was introduced to America although the story of exactly which vendor should get the credit for introducing it is a matter of some debate. If you watch the old Judy Garland musical Meet Me in St. Louis, filmed in 1944, you'll see the family enjoying ice cream cones as they visit the fair. Another 20th century innovation is the ice cream sundae. Here, too, the exact birthplace of the sundae is a bit sketchy, with two towns, Ithaca, New York, and Two Rivers, Wisconsin, nearly coming to blows over it with heated debates back and forth in the newspapers. A third town, Evanston, Illinois, does not claim to have come up with the Sunday, but they do like to take credit for the name. Evanston was home to the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which opposed alcohol in all forms and championed the Sunday as an alternative to alcoholic drinks. The story goes that the religious hardliners objected to the use of Sunday, the Lord's Day, for such a decadent concoction. So the spelling was changed to SUNDAE to differentiate it from the day of the week. Again, much of this may be apocryphal. It may be, as one source reported, a simple matter of a misspelling on a shipment of the trademark tall fluted glassware that Sundays are served in. No matter how it's spelled, Sundays and make it yourself Sunday bars with ice cream and all the fixins are standard fare at ice cream socials. Which brings us back to our earlier topic. For some reason, gatherings around ice cream are called socials. I suppose they could be called ice cream parties just as well, but social is the term that has stuck. I remember attending ice cream socials at my church when I was a child, but they seem to have gone out of style except in pockets here and there. I understand there's a quite well-known one held every summer on Prince Edward Island the home base of author Lucy Maud Montgomery, and her beloved heroine Anne of Green Gables. But of course an ice cream social seems a particularly Anne Shirley-ish thing to do. In the latter half of the 19th and early 20th century, ice cream socials became a favorite form of entertainment, Churches, schools, and other nonprofit organizations in particular latched onto the ice cream social as a way to raise funds for a good cause. I think it's time to bring it back, don't you? What do you need to put on an ice cream social? Well, ice cream, of course, and a way to keep it cold on a hot day. Bins of ice, or portable freezers, or access to a kitchen with a freezer is ideal. A variety of flavors would be good, as well as a variety of mix-ins, sprinkles, cut-up fruit, bits of candy, that sort of thing, some jars of sauce to pour over top, whipped cream, maraschino cherries, baked goods to accompany the ice cream are nice, shortbread of course for strawberry shortcake during berry season, perhaps brownies, cake, or cookies, Bring plenty of bowls and spoons. You don't want to run out of those. For decorating ideas, visit Pinterest and do a search for ice cream social or strawberry social. You'll be deluged with decorating ideas. How about you? Are you fond of ice cream? Have you ever been to an ice cream social or hosted one yourself? You can let me know in the comments. comments. And I'll be back in a moment with today's grace note. Today's grace note is the movie I mentioned earlier, Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland. It came out in 1944, which makes it 75 years old this year. If you enjoy dreamy, nostalgic images of early 20th century Americana, this is the movie for you. Set in St. Louis, Missouri, in the year leading up to the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition. The story centers around one prosperous family as they move through summer, fall, winter, and spring, and particularly one daughter of that family, Esther, as she meets and is courted by the young man who has just moved in next door. It's a musical containing several songs you might recognize, like The Boy Next Door. Have yourself a Merry Little Christmas, the Trolley Song, and, of course, the Title Song. Look for Meet Me in St. Louis when you've had it with 21st Century Life and are ready for an idyllic, rose-tinted trip down memory lane. If you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a question you'd like answered on A Sparkling Vintage Life, feel free to send me an email at jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, at sparklingvintagelife.com. Also, if you can take a few minutes to stop by Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a star rating, or even better, write a quick review, that will help raise the visibility of this little show so that more gentle souls like you and me can find it. And that's it for now. Join us again next time when we chat about another aspect of a sparkling vintage life.